Welcome back to our weekly podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and I have the honor of introducing you to Gunnar Lundberg. Gunnar graduated summa cum laude at the peak of COVID-19 last year in 2020 with a degree in literature and a minor in economics. During his time at Franklin, he was involved in student government as head of public relations, as well as being an orientation mentor. Gunnar has done so much from being a commercial salmon fisher to being a writer on international cuisine. As we speak, he is actually hiking the Appalachian Trail before he heads up to Glasgow, Scotland um, in the fall to pursue a master's in modern literature. I'm super excited to have him here today, not only to catch up, but also to share his story with all of you. Welcome, Gunnar. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Margaret. I'm looking forward to catching up as well and answering any questions that you may have. Yay. Well, I feel like the biggest question on everyone's mind is why and how was it being a salmon fisher, commercial salmon fisher at that in Alaska? What led you there and kind of what was it like day to day? Well, okay. What led me there was spending half a year in Switzerland, you know, one of the pricier countries in the world. I, of course, was pretty zealous with my travel plans freshman year, so my bank account was a little smaller than I had expected it to be at that time. Um, I was looking for a good summer job to make some extra money, and, you know, half a bottle of wine in my dorm room later, (laughs) I signed up for a $17 account for a website called Alaskan Job Finder. Um, because it seemed, you know, initially I had had my heart set on becoming like a towel boy in the Maldives or something, but (laughs) I guess those jobs are a little harder to come by than a salmon fisherman. But the allure of working two and a half months and walking away with up to like $8,000 proved a little bit too strong of a temptation for me. And yeah, within a week I had found a crew boss, um, got my plans pretty roughly sorted and had, yeah, pretty much committed to heading out to the Bering Sea to fish. (laughs) (laughs) Would you recommend it? Do you, would you say definitely check it out lifetime in your lifetime? Okay. I think it was definitely a once in a lifetime experience for me emphasis on the once you know it was a very hard two months I'm not gonna lie I had like nerve damage in my fingers from plucking so many fish out of the nets I constantly smelled like rotting fish I was wet pretty much 24 7 and I even suffered from what I have dubbed um, salmon dreams yeah, please where, <laughs> yeah, basically it was a, a phenomenon that I have, I experienced where after plucking fish out of a net for so many hours a day, I would find myself asleep and I would suddenly think that like the folds in my blanket were like fish covering me. So I would just find myself half asleep, like picking at the folds in my blanket because I thought they were fish and I'd have to like calm myself down and be like, Gunner, like these aren't fish. It's a blanket. <laughs> like you're inside, just like go back to bed. So I think I, I would recommend it for someone if, you know, if they like to travel and they want to 
ball out on a budget and they need to make some quick cash. It was hard and wet, but I'm very glad that I did it. I don't think I would ever do it again though. Yeah. I, I feel like it's definitely a unique experience and the salmon dreams is something that I personally will never forget. Till the day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it brings a lot of enjoyment to other people, which, you know, I'm glad to hear that, that it wasn't all in vain because, no. you know, and I haven't had a salmon dream since. So, exactly. so I've recovered. <laughs> So I mentioned before in your introduction that you're actually hiking the Appalachian Trail. And so right now as you're speaking, you're actually with another alum, Mercedes Homer, um, in New York. And so you're almost done. But how has the process been? But also kind of what inspired you to initially begin this journey? Yeah, so it's been pretty good so far. I think, you know, I graduated Franklin May of 2020 which was, like you said, at the height of COVID. So most companies had hiring freezes. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to kind of go and stay at um, my family's cabin out in like rural Wisconsin, where I got a job at just kind of like the local mini mart. And I was um, just making like minimum wage there, kind of still looking for career type jobs, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up applying to some grad programs. And then after I had pretty much set my heart on going to grad school in the fall, I was like, well, you know, six months isn't really enough time to pick up a career type job. And at that point, I was pretty sick of working at the Minute Mart. And I just decided, you know, let's do something crazy. I've got a pretty good track record when it comes to impulsive crazy decisions like going to school in switzerland or salmon fishing so i thought hey you know what's a cool six month crazy adventure that i could do um that you know would work um during kind of a covid time so i was like well how about retreating for a solo hike in the woods (laughs) 2200 miles from georgia to maine And so it kind of snowballed from there pretty quickly. And I've done a few backpacking trips in the past, nothing this extreme at all. Um, And I just decided, yeah, hey, what the heck, why not? When else am I going to have six months free in the next 10 years to do something like this? And yeah, no regrets. It's been a very humbling experience. There are some days where it's either so hot out or there are just so many mosquitoes and my thighs are chafing as I'm making my way up like a 2000 foot climb and I hate my life, but you know, you get to the top of the mountain, you get a nice breeze, a nice view. And all of a sudden it's like, there's no place you'd rather be on earth and you just can't wait to get a good night's sleep in your tent on your inflatable mattress. (laughs) How heavy was your, is your bag? So my pack, I pride myself on, um, it's not too heavy. I'm pretty good at not taking too many luxury items. So I do carry toilet paper though. That's one luxury item that I can't believe some people consider it not a luxury, but, um, yeah. So 
it's about 30 pounds with a full food supply and full water, which is a pretty, pretty light. It's not ultralight by any means. I'm not out here cutting the end off my toothbrush and like using dental floss as string. <laughs> like, um, so it's good. Plus I like a little bit, you know, heavier of a pack cause it helps me tone my thighs and my booty. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> how long do you live with just your pack? and not stopping how long could you potentially go or have you gone yeah so the Appalachian Trail is pretty um, nice in the sense that you can kind of pass through a town or do a short little like spur trail into a town every four or five days Um, so you really only need to carry about four or five days of food with you at a time so that's pretty much what I've stuck to Um, but my like morale and mood kind of fluctuates through the hike. Sometimes I'm really excited to go into town and do my laundry and like have a clean pair of clothes to put on in the morning. Um, and then other times I'm just like, I don't want to go into town. I just want to stay in the woods. Like I don't want to deal with, you know, stores and hostel workers and all that sort of stuff. So it definitely fluctuates, but I would say, you know, no more than a week. Yeah. How would you say, I mean, I understand that, you know, the current context of COVID changes a lot, but how would you say the hostel experience is in the U.S. versus Europe? Would you say that there's a similar community or? I would say that, um, especially out on the trail hostels, there's definitely a similar source of um, sort of camaraderie because, you know, everyone out there is hiking. Um, they're on the trail, so they're kind of doing the same experience as you. I'd say that the atmosphere is definitely a little different, uh, especially with COVID. There aren't hardly any international hikers out on the trail this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty much all Americans, which I thought one of the coolest things about staying in uh, hostels when I was at Franklin was, you know, meeting people from all over the world and like learning about different cultures and really you know, putting yourself in those kind of um, not uncomfortable situations, but I guess unfamiliar would be a better word where yeah. you're really like opening up to learning about new perspectives and um, new cultures. Whereas in the U S you know, everyone, even though they come from different parts of the country, it's, you know, I'd say pretty similar. So um, I would say that they are different vibes, but kind of have the same, heart at the center of it okay fair enough yeah i've never stayed in a hostel in the u.s so or i did when i was young but it, it's not the same you know experience when you're older um so mm-hmm. uh, this brings me to another kind of tangential question but during your freshman year like you mentioned you traveled a lot and a lot of it was actually on your own and i wonder if you have some advice or some insight on what it's like to travel alone do you recommend it and maybe give us a little tidbit of one of your favorite travels that you took. I know that's hard, but at least just the first one that comes to your head, maybe. I know. I feel like that's like such a Franklin question that everyone rolls their eyes at. And it's like, what's like your favorite tra- yeah. travel? Or give us just one little travel story. And everyone's like, oh, of the like 400 I have to choose from. But no, I think that for me, traveling, uh, traveling alone was always... Um, 
a goal of mine. You know, I love traveling with friends. Um, and I love, you know, academic travel too, where you're traveling with your class, but traveling solo and being out there alone, it's a different experience because I'd say that, you know, if you want to make friends, if you want to go out for a drink, if you don't want to eat dinner alone, you know, you really have to put yourself out there to meet new people, whether it's at a museum, at a hostel, at a bar. And you really have, it's kind of like, you know, do or die, where are you going to wander the streets alone, which sometimes is nice. And it's a nice breather. It's a nice little break. But sometimes, you know, you do want to meet new people and you want to make new friends that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do otherwise. Um, I'd say one of my favorite travels I did was I did a solo trip down to um, Naples in uh, southern Italy um, to see the Farnese Hercules mainly. Well, that was what I told my parents. That was how I justified spending the 100 euro on a round trip train ticket. Um, I was going to see the Farnese Hercules, which I was writing a paper on for in our history class I was taking. But it was just such an incredible experience to, uh, the train ride was beautiful down there, Naples. Um, you know, I don't think I would have gone to or sought out as a destination otherwise, but it was so close to Pompeii too. And the city was so walkable that I really enjoyed um, my time there, just kind of trying the different foods and learning about the history of the city. So that was, I think, one of a, a big surprise solo travel that I really enjoyed. Uh, more than I, you know, thought I would. That's exciting. It's funny that you say that because in a few weeks, I'm actually thinking I'm going to Naples as a solo travel. So it's so fun. I would totally recommend it. The pizza, you know, everywhere in Italy says they have the best pizza. Everywhere in the U.S. says they have the best pizza. But I think Naples, actually, you know, as the birthplace of pizza, yeah, might have the best pizza in the world. <laughs> There's a Napolese, I guess you could say, pizza place downtown. And if it's anything of that, you know, kind of situation, I'm totally down. And I totally believe you. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and okay, so just now that we're on this kind of Franklin trend, before we kind of talk about you going to grad school and how exciting that is and moving and all those things. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about when you were at Franklin and creating design, the zine, excuse me, and what was that like and how did that start? And just kind of like maybe give insight to what a zine is in general as well. Yeah, so the zine, uh, which was actually first conceptualized and um, created by my friend Mercedes, whose house I'm staying at right now. Um, we were looking for a way for student writers on campus to kind of have an outlet to build a little bit of a portfolio to maybe shop around for internships or jobs in the future because there wasn't really a place for students on campus who wanted to maybe go into journalism or creative writing. There wasn't really a place for them to publish their work or have their work edited. So we thought a student-run publication would be a great opportunity for those people to, you know, share their work with a wider audience. And being that everybody at Franklin, you know, no matter what major you're in, no matter why you're there or where you come from, traveling is something that we all share in common. You know, academic travel, that's one of the main reasons people come to Franklin. 
them. So by creating Zine, which we did, um, Zine itself is kind of like an independent, rough around the edges publication. That's kind of what the culture is all about. Like if you're do it yourself, you know, kind of collaging, think about like, you know, the nineties people just writing permanent marker on printer paper and printing 50 copies and distributing it to their friends. That's kind of the spirit of the whole community. And we decided to appropriate that a little bit uh, with the name too, where we had like X E N E zine meaning like foreign or other, which we thought played really well into the whole aspect of traveling and kind of throwing yourself into that foreignness when you go to a place you've never been before and it not being necessarily, you know, a frightening otherness or foreignness, but uh, a place where you have to really open your eyes and with the people around you. Yeah, and I'll put the link to it because it's an online publication as well as in print. And I can put the link to it in the description of this podcast so people can check it out. Yeah, I definitely recommend. Uh, we published some great issues on some cool themes. We did a culture shock and home. And uh, yeah, it was definitely one of the highlights of my time at Franklin. So I'm really glad that we were able to to do something like that while I was there. Yeah, it's super exciting. And I mean, what advice would you give to someone maybe starting um, on something new at Franklin? And would you say it's difficult? Um, I would say that because the student body's small, you might have a hard time initially, like getting a lot of interest or you think that there's only two or three people on campus and you're like oh it's not going to be worth it you know if it's just going to be two or three people but I think that if you get the ball rolling um, and you talk to some professors who you think might be interested in overseeing it or might be interested in helping you um, once you get it going I think you'd realize that there are a lot of people who are interested and maybe they're just shy or they don't you know, think they have the time initially to kind of put in the energy to get something up and off the ground. But once it gets going, I think you'll find a lot of support. And especially with SGA, you know, having a good budget and their money's there to be spent on these student clubs and student organizations, that if you fill out the forms and plead your case, you know, to the General Assembly, there's a pretty good chance that, um, you know, granted, if it's not 5,000 francs that you'll be able to get some funding to help you out too. Yeah, no, it's kind of exciting how as long as there's space for it, people will give you their time to kind of support your ideas and hopefully potentially unlock a passion within other people as well. Exactly. And if you get some, even a modest budget to throw together an apera with some paprika chips, you know, Students will show up. That's a guarantee. <laughs> Definitely. Free food, free drink of any kind, even if it's milk, people will probably show up. That's the theory. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's cool. I will definitely link the link below. Um, and I think it's also interesting to note, we could talk briefly about this, but how you began at Franklin as an economics major, and then you kind of transitioned into a literature major. And I think it'd be interesting to kind of talk about how 
you know, obviously they're completely different, at least from an outside perspective. That's what you would think. But how was that transition, you know, deciding that you wanted to kind of change your path, change your major? Yeah, I think it was definitely a little scary. Um, I think that I was first drawn to econ because although, you know, from the outside, it seems more of like a brother or a sister to like banking and finance. Um, I like that the professors really market it and talk about it as a social science, which it is. So, you know, yes, it's about supply and demand and consumers and GDP, but it's more about like, I guess, psychology and principles and philosophy than it is about, you know, spreadsheets and Excel and tracking. I think that especially studying international economics in Switzerland was a really big selling point to my parents getting on board with me going to Franklin in the first place. But I think that after my first year, um, I kind of noticed a change in my uh, schedule when I was looking and, you know, if I'm enjoying these classes more, if I'm finding myself more engaged, like what's holding me back from, you know, still focusing on econ and doing it as a minor. Cause I had, you know, taken a pretty decent amount of classes at that point, but my passion and I guess my critical interests were really just more in literature specifically. And, you know, it's tough because not that there are a ton of jobs for econ majors, but I venture to say that there are certainly more jobs for econ majors than literature majors. But at that point, it really just came down to, you know, I'd like to throw myself into the thing that I can see myself being happiest doing for the rest of my life. And it was scary. You know, I had to change advisors had to tell my parents that I wasn't, you know, going to graduate with a major in econ. But in the end, it was 100% worth it. And I think that by following what you're passionate about, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's really, I think, the only option you have. And actually, it's really exciting now because now you're, like I mentioned, pursuing a master's in Glasgow on modern literature. And what made you decide that you wanted to get your master's in modern literature and also in Glasgow of all places? So I am specifically interested in modern literature um, because I, I did my thesis on E.M. Forster, uh, who's a pretty famous modernist author. And I think that the time period really speaks and resonates with me because um, it was kind of a period in time when tourism was coming of age and became more popular, which I thought really paired well with, you know, academic travel and being at Franklin and the focus on traveling. And I just, you know, find the authors, Virginia Woolf, uh, Ernest Hemingway, you know, more engaging to me. And so I um, settled on, I didn't settle on Glasgow. I'm really happy I'm going yeah, to Glasgow. Yeah. I first academic travel I did to Scotland and you know I mean it's the basis of uh, J.K. Rowling's like rendition of Hogwarts so I mean it's pretty stunning campus but besides that the city just has such a good music and art scene 
And I was actually able to reach out to some of the professors teaching the programs. And they seemed really interested in the apply to the program. And so it really just felt like it would be an awesome fit for me and my goals. And so that's pretty much how, you know, and I think especially being international um, in the UK, I really enjoyed my time being abroad at Franklin. So I was open and excited about the prospect to, you know, head across the pond once more. I'm super excited for you. So you're going to finish the Appalachian Trail pretty soon. When are you finishing? Yeah, so I've got, I think, just under 800 miles left to hike, which may sound pretty daunting, but I've done, you know, 1,400 so far. So I'm pretty sure I've got it old um, as long as I don't get injured or something. Knock on wood. (laughs) But um, I should be done by, I think, the first week of August. So just a little over a month and a half. Okay, and then you're leaving for grad school in September? Yep, my orientation starts September 13th, so I'll have a good, you know, three weeks of some rest and relaxation before I head off um, to the UK. That's super exciting. I'm super happy for you, and I feel like we could go on and on, but I think we'll leave a little cliffhanger here uh, leave people wondering what's happening next. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm just really excited for you and all that's to come. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I definitely, you know, if anybody's graduating Franklin and not quite sure what they want to do, would totally recommend either a summer in Alaska or a five month hike. Yeah, why? Through the US. So. <laughs> YOLO, as they say. Back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll see you soon, hopefully. <laughs> yes, fast. You better come visit me in Scotland. I would love to. Well, thanks again. I'll see you. Ciao. Yeah. <laughs>